So today we're going to start a brand new series called Chasing Carrots. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I've never really seen this in my life. The only time I've ever seen the Chasing Carrots idea comes from like cartoons I watched when I was a kid. It was usually some lazy donkey that they couldn't get moving. And so they'd put a carrot, tie it on a string to a stick, dangle it out in front of the you know, the animal, and it'd just kind of walk, carry its load, whatever it would do, and it would just continually keep moving forward thinking it's going to get the carrot. And that poor animal, it just wants to sit down, it just wants to do nothing, but yet it's motivated to get up and go, just all trying to get this carrot that it's honestly never really going to get. Um, And so just for the sake of what we're talking about, let me just give you what carrots are for our purposes because we're not going to like, I'm not going to give out like little hats with like springs and carrots on them or anything like that. But carrots for our sake are those things that motivate but don't pay off. Things that move us forward, inspire us to, to drive our lives, to make decisions, to have priorities, all of those things. But they're things that don't fulfill their promises. Maybe you notice the background image here. And this just is just so sad, because when the hamster's in a wheel, you've seen hamsters in wheels, sometimes they can just get going in those things, they'll get, they'll get tripped, and then they'll go all the way around a few times, and they'll catch themselves and take off again, you know? But it's even worse when you dangle food out there, because the poor little guy actually feels like he's going to get somewhere, and he's never really going to get there. So when you're chasing a carrot, your life is being guided by something that's made promises to you that it can't keep. And so in this series, we're just basically going to talk about what motivates us, what drives our lives. Uh, these are things that make, uh, cause us to make the decisions that we make. They influence uh, the, the jobs that we take. They influence how we spend our time. It determines how we kind of set up our particular priorities, you know, what makes it, you know, when there's a conflict in life, which one gets the okay from us, which one gets our time and our energy. These carrots really do define how we live our lives, and there's a lot of different things that it could be. For some, of us, for some of us, it's recognition. You work so hard just waiting for someone to notice, to give you a hand or a pat on the back, to draw your name to the front of everyone's attention so that you can get a little bit of acclaim for all your hard work, and that for you is what's going to make it work, worth it. And so you work hard waiting for your moment when somebody is going to give you that sort of attention. For others of us, it's a certain standard of living, that if we can just have not just enough stuff, but we want the right stuff. You know, we want the right kind of house, the right kind of neighborhood, with the right kind of landscaping, and the right kind of car in the driveway, with the right kind of clothes in the closet, and if we can just do all of those things, then we think our life will be okay. If we can just have enough of the right stuff, if we can get to this certain mark of of how we live, everything will then make sense for us. For some people, their carrot is trying to get all the pieces of their life in the right place. It's, it's control. They want to they manipulate, not necessarily, maybe you wouldn't say manipulate, but that's kind of what it is. You want to be able to control and manipulate so that all the people in your life are where they're supposed to be, doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, and all the circumstances in your life are going the way that, you could be, that they want to be going. And then once everything's in the proper place and everything's doing what you have organized according to your grand plan for what your life is going to be, then you've won at the game of life. For some of you who are younger, the carrot might be finding love. That once I just find somebody, I'll be complete. I'll, be a, I'll have value. Their, their love for me will validate my, my life, my place. And once we find each other, it's just going to be romance until the day we die. 
and we forget about all those in-between moments. There's a lot of time in between finding love and getting married and the day you die for a lot of us. And there's a lot of underwear on the floor. And there's a lot of, why are there toenail clippings on the counter? Who does that? That's disgusting. There's a lot of dirty dishes left here, there, and everywhere, okay? There's a lot between love, oh, we're gonna be, it's going to be amazing, and it'll make my life complete between that time, and, and, and is that enough? Um, but I'll say one thing. I think when I was younger, love was kind of the big thing that a lot of us were chasing after. But I'll tell you what I see now amongst those who are younger. It's value. They're trying to find anything that says you matter, your existence is, is worth it, you, you are worth existing, you have a place in this world. And the dangerous part about that that makes me scared for those of you who are high school and under is that when you're trying to grab onto something that has value, you're trying to find anything that gives you value, you will literally grab onto anything that gives you a hint of value. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's dangerous, and whether it's foolish. And there's a lot of people who have compromised their future because they're on this chase to find a thing in life, anything in life, that will grant them value. And what's most unfortunate is that though we are all motivated by something, very few of us ever stop to think about what it is that we're being motivated by. We just live our life. And we have these kind of unconscious desires for this or that that we never really sit down and take time to be introspective and put names and words to those things that are driving us, those desires that are in the deepest parts of our heart. And so you're all motivated by something. I'm motivated by things, but very few of us could actually say, honestly, if I'm, if I'm being honest, these are the things that are driving my life. And so the question really becomes, according to what's motivating you, are you chasing carrots? Are you chasing things that matter or things that don't? Are you chasing things that can actually deliver on the promise that you're kind of living your life for? You know, oh, once I find love, that's going to be it. Once I have enough money, that's going to be it. Are you chasing something that's going to be able to deliver on that promise of satisfaction and joy for the rest of your life? Or are you chasing something that's an empty pursuit, something that's dangling there, promising you something that you're never going to be able to catch? And, you know, that's a, that's a really, really struggle, struggling thing for a lot of us, is that we don't know. We're making decisions every single day. We're making choices every single day. We're, we're saying no to things and yes to things every, every single day, and we don't have a clue if, whether or not we're actually chasing the right things. We're letting the right things influence us. And so today, I want to tackle one of the biggest offenders and we're going to look at a couple different in the course of the series. But I just want to get one of the biggest things that often grabs our heart, and you don't even know it, and I don't even hardly know it, and that is money and stuff. And I, I said in the beginning of the series on prayer that we just finished up last week, one of the most common prayers I've ever prayed in my life was that God would make me rich. I mean, I've probably prayed that prayer more than any other prayer. And usually I prayed, God, make me rich, let me win the lottery. And here's the weird part. I never even, hardly ever played the lottery. Like, when I turned 18 and it was like, I can buy lottery tickets. Like, I went and bought a few scratch-offs and stuff just because it was new and I could. But, like, the overwhelming majority of my adult life, I have never played the lottery. And, and yet, a couple times I prayed, God, let me win the lottery. I don't know how he was going to wing that, you know? <laughs> You know, it's, I mean, unless like I was just driving down the road and this random lottery ticket just blows in and sticks to my face and I happen to take it to a store and, and see if it was the big winner or something like that. But it's very weird that I would pray for that. And, and maybe you've prayed for something similar. You've prayed God would make me rich. Maybe you've done some things that would, you know, help you in that respect. Um, but 
even though I've kind of moved past some of that little bits of silliness of praying, God, make me rich in ways that I'm <laughs> not even helping myself get rich, um, I still feel that desire to, that says, if I had more, if I just had a little more, things would, would work. I'm the, the nerdy one in our ha- family that does like the budget and stuff, and I, lo- I like spreadsheets, and some of you are like, yes, I relate to you, and some of you are like, you might as well be an alien because that's so disgusting and gross and weird, I have no way to understand how someone could ever like that stuff, but I do, I like, you know, putting all the numbers on, on, on the budget before the month starts and seeing everything equal out and knowing where all the money's going to go, I really, I love that stuff, and I'll tell you something, as I've worked here for 12 and a half years now, I've made a little bit more every year. You know, the guys give cost of living raises and things like that over, over that course of time. And every time I've had a raise, you know what? I've always still felt like we just never quite had enough. The budget always got felt tight, you know? No matter how much money it came in, it always felt tight. Get a little more money, it just gets just the same amount of tight. And I never could quite figure that out. How does that even work? And I am constantly going over this stuff and feeling like, man, if we just had a little bit more, then the budget would really be what I want it to be. And so I have this belief, and I'll bet many of you have this belief, that if you had more, life would be better, right? How many of you have ever said, I wish I had more money? How many of you ever thought, I wish I could be rich? Yeah. How about this? How many of you have actually looked at somebody that you know who you would consider as rich, and you thought, if I were rich like they were rich, I would be better at being rich? Because I see the dumb things they do with their money, and I wouldn't do that. I'd be, good, I'd be a good rich person. I'd be a wiser rich person than that person that I know. Um, I recently came across a, a website poll, and the website I found it on, not really a respectable website. It was BuzzFeed, and they have all kinds of junk, you know, but um, they had this poll on there, and the thing that made me take note of it was that the poll had been taken by 300,000 people. I was like, that's a lot of people, so these are real answers by real people, and so basically what they did, the poll was, what would you do for $5 million? And so they had questions, would you do this, yes or no? Would you do this, yes or no? And some of them are horribly inappropriate. So I'm going to I'm gonna give you some of the ones that I thought were, um, one, appropriate, and two, interesting, okay? What would you do for $5 million? 53% of people said they would listen to only country music for the rest of their lives. And some of you were like, I was planning on doing that anyway. <laughs> so fork it over. <laughs> and some of you were thinking, not worth it. You're in the, you're in the other 47% that it, it ain't worth it. Um, 43% of people said they would get all of their teeth pulled out. Yeah, some of you were way too okay with that. <laughs> and some of you said, ew, that's the right answer. Um, I had, when I had braces, which I had braces a little bit later in life, and I had braces actually when I came here, and I had got them off a few months after I started, but during the two plus years or so that I had braces, at least two times a week I had nightmares of my teeth falling out. In every possible way that teeth can fall out. Sometimes I'd get hit. Sometimes I'd sneeze and my hand would be full of teeth. It was horrible. I, am, like, I can't even pull my kids' teeth anymore. I don't want to think about it. I just have a complex about it now, maybe even a phobia. I don't know. But when I saw this, I was like, that, there are some crazy people in this world that would do that. And then they get a little bit more shocking. 50% of people said they would let a random person on earth die if it meant they could get 50 $5 million, meaning if someone says, I'll give you $5 million, but upon you taking it, a random person in the world that you do not know and will never know will die, and you'll never know how they die or anything. You'll never see any consequences. And 50% of people of that 300,000 said, yep. 
And some of you are shocked, and some of the other of you are quiet. You're like, I might, I might go for that, because out of sight is out of mind, right? And if we're just being honest, it's interesting. The fact that you might say, well, if I never knew them, you know, and you think that five million could really change my life. I can understand how that starts to pull on our hearts. And then 24% of people, almost a quarter of people, said they would live in solitude for 20 years with zero human interaction for 20 years. Years and all my introverts in the room said, Amen, I can sign me up for that, right? <laughs> all right, and, and yet, I, don't, I mean, we were made for that kind of stuff. I mean, this is like saying you would go against one of your most basic human desires, You're the way things that were made to make you tick. Now, in another uh, more reliable survey that I saw a few years ago, um, they asked people of all income brackets, What would it take for you to be rich? And two things were interesting. Nobody thought they were rich. What would it take for you to be rich? And every single person answered the same thing, a little bit more than what I have now. Regardless of whatever they, number they tossed out, every single person in the, that took this survey said, a little bit more than what I made now. The people that made $3 million thought they needed $5 million. And some of you are like, $3 million would be nice. I, that would definitely make me feel rich. Not according to the people that actually had made it to that level. And so it's interesting that if you have a people who, who made the numbers that many of us would dream to make were saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not rich yet. I don't have enough yet. That tells me that maybe this is a carrot and not the one that we should be chasing. It's something that promises satisfaction. That thing that's in you that says, if I just had a little more, then I'd have enough. Maybe that's a lie that way too many of us have believed. That's why Jesus talked about money so often. He talked about money more than heaven and hell. And that's like heaven and hell, big spiritual things, right? He talked about money. Why? Because he, he knew that it was one of those things that would grab our hearts and make us compromise and make us make choices that would lead us not towards him but away from him. It's, he, knew, he knew that it would do things to our heart that would make us okay with killing off a random person if it meant getting a whole pile of cash. And so Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, he says this giant warning. He says, and he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard. That's kind of like a two, two statements of watch out. This is something that's going to bite you. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Covetousness is kind of a Bible word that we don't use a lot. Some translations say greed. But I think covetousness is a, a better translation. And it really fits our modern world. Because covetousness means you look at somebody else's life and say, I want what they've got. I want a little bit of what they've got in their life. Covetousness has this idea of you directly looking at somebody's life and wanting their life or an aspect of their life. And, and we live in this age of social media where you can literally look at anyone's life. I know a little bit. You know a little bit about what my life looks like. I know a little bit about what your life looks like. And we're sharing with each other these very edited views of our life so that all of our lives look better on Facebook and Instagram than they really are. And we look at everybody else's life like, man, I wish my house was like their house. I wish I had that. that I wish I could keep my house as clean. Man, I wish I could put up my Christmas decorations as early as those people. Yeah. Some of you are there. Some of you beat me to it. I'm really a little bitter about it. But we'll get there. And so... But, but there's these, like, we look at people, and then we've got this other thing with the internet where we can now look at the entire world full of strangers out there. People will never, we'll never know, and we can want their life too. You can watch YouTube and see some 16-year-old who's made millions of dollars playing Fortnite, 
who got a Lamborghini on their 16th birthday, and you're like, I drove a hoopty, and I and that kid's got a Lamborghini. I wish I could have had that guy's life. I'm like, I'm twice his age, and I wish I had that kid's life, right? And so we can look at anybody now and start to covet, want aspects of their life. And Jesus issues this double warning saying, be careful with that, because it gives you this impression. It's easy for us to get the impression that if we just had more, that would make up a better life for us. But he says your life is more than what you can acquire. Your life is more than bank account figures, and it's more than the stuff you can put in your house or the stuff that you can fill a garage with. And yet every ad, every commercial, everything we see is telling you, you need this thing. You need more, more and more. Upgrade this. Subscribe to that. Everything is telling you that what you don't have is what you need. And if we allow that to influence who we are and what we're using to propel us through life, we're going to end up very, very dissatisfied because, again, this is a carrot. It's going to promise to you something it cannot deliver. And then Jesus goes on to tell a parable to show us just how fragile stuff and money really is as a, when you make it like the main thing that you're chasing after. It says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he's a farmer. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now some of you, I don't know what your idea of like a perfect vacation is. Some of you are like do things people. And you want to go places and hike and climb and you know windsurf and all kinds of stuff. Some of you are sit people. Sit on the beach, sit on the porch, go out to eat. I'm a sit kind of person for vacation. So eat, drink, and be merry, that's enticing to me. Like, that's honestly, if you were had all the money in the world, what would you do? Probably a whole lot of nothing. Because that sounds awesome to me. Just literally doing nothing. I, in fact, I was thinking the other day, I was like, next time I take a vacation, I think I want to do two days where I just sleep and sleep without any, any guilt, just sleep. And then, like, once I feel good and recharged, then maybe I could do a few things. Nothing crazy, you know. Like, I'd leave the house to go get food and then bring it back. You know, nothing crazy. But, like, that's just the kind of, like, that's what sounds fun to me. And that's probably why my waist is expanding. And, you know, anyway. But that's what he says. Eat, drink, and be merry. So that's the guy's plan. So he's a farmer. He had a great, great year. He didn't have enough room to store all his stuff. He had too much grain that he could sell off over the years. So what he did, he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build some bigger barns. And what he's going to do is plan is to slowly sell off the grain, and he's just going to live for years, not working, taking it easy, living the easy life, and enjoying himself. That's what he says he's going to do. And, and again, I think this is completely normal. Like, I read this story, and if I kind of, like, pull this into our world, if I had a bunch of money just fall into my lap, I would be tempted to do a whole lot of eat, drink, and be merry and relax. Um, and, and probably many of you would as well. But I want you to notice something at the beginning of this parable. Let's go back just a little bit. What did Jesus call the guy? A rich man. He was rich before this happened. 
He had more than enough before his land did all this stuff. He just had abundance fall on top of his abundance. And so Jesus says, this guy was already so incredibly rich. All this did was took him to a different level of rich. And, and what he did was what a lot of us think. Oh, I got a raise. Now I can take my standard of living and raise it up a level. Oh, I got another raise. Now I can raise my standard of living. I got more, now I can have more. I got more, now I can have more. His only thought was for himself and what he was going to do with the more. He thought his life was made. And then Jesus takes the, ter- the story in a quite a turn that shows again the fragile nature of using money as the ultimate goal and believing that financial security is the ultimate type of security. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, meaning you're dying tonight. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, the problem with building your life with the goal of having money and stuff is there's not a single guarantee that you're going to be around to enjoy it. Um, In this man's story, all his planning, all his efforts, all that barn building and all that, I'm going to relax from here on out, I'm going to dole it out just so much so that I never have to work a day in my life ever again. All that planning is absolutely and utterly utterly useless to him. And when I read the story, I kind of want to think, well, at least he left a good inheritance for his family, right? But Jesus didn't talk about a family, didn't talk about inheritance, and that tells me because the guy wasn't thinking about that. His goal was himself. It was more for him. And so the fact that Jesus says none of that stuff about kids or, oh, he left a good inheritance for his family, it says that all the satisfaction he was looking for was only for himself. And then Jesus closes it out by saying, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the problem wasn't necessarily the wealth or the success this man had. You know, you'll get some people who are prosperity-type preachers who will say, you don't want to be too rich, so you should give it to me, the preacher or the church or something like that, and then they'll skim it off the top and, and buy jets and weird things like that. That's not what this is about. And anybody that peddles that kind of stuff, it's nonsense, okay? But the idea here is not that the guy was wealthy or that he had enough stuff. The problem was how he used his money. You see, the only thing he was concerned about was what the Bible calls earthly treasure, meaning what you can do within this life. He was not concerned about what the Bible calls heavenly treasure, using this life to invest in eternal things. He absolutely failed to think about heavenly treasure. He thought nothing of maybe how he can use his extra to bless people who didn't have as much. He never thought about giving it away to support orphans and widows. He didn't think about, what can I, how can I give this to a spiritual cause so that God's mission and purpose can go farther in this world? He didn't think about any of that. He only thought of himself. His thoughts for wealth were only about himself. And that's why Jesus warns us in the beginning of this parable, be on your guard, watch out against this covetousness, this greed, because being rich isn't bad. The issue is what is your perspective on money and stuff? Is it yay more for me? Or is it this idea that maybe God's got a purpose and he can use my life and and More money is just one way I can use to carry out God's purpose, to glorify Him, and bring good to a lot of other people. You see, there's a drastic difference between, yay, I'm going to get a nicer car, nicer house, nicer this, then I've got extra, wow, I can do some stuff with that to bless other people. Two very different perspectives. And this guy, he thought, he had the same thought that that many of us had when he had too much. The The thought was, there's no such thing as too much, right? 
Uh, there's the old song. It was back in probably the 90s, uh, Too Much Fun. Anybody remember that? Daryl Singletary? I don't, I'm ashamed that I know that. I have such worthless trivia in my brain. Way more worthless trivia than Bible verses. But too much fun, what's that mean? It's like too much money. There's no such thing. Girl too pretty, too much. Yeah, if you, being too lucky, a car too fast, that kind of thing. Yeah. Nobody's heard this song? Yeah, okay. So you guys are going to be the ones that aren't listening to country music for the rest of your lives, okay? I get it. We're going to be poor, but no country music. I get it. Okay. But the idea, but like, yeah, there's no such thing as too much because he, did, he couldn't even fit it all in his barn, right? So what do you do? He just, well, I can just get a bigger barn. But that's kind of how we tend to think rather than maybe I have enough and I can pass on to other people. So now I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. I want to hit you with some good news and some bad news. Ready for this? Here's the good news. You are rich. You're welcome. <laughs> don't you feel better? You're like, oh, whoo. I wasn't sure, right? And you might say, well, I don't feel rich, right? Nobody feels rich. That's why we all said I need a little bit more to be rich. But when you think of it this way, that there are over 3 billion people on this planet who live on less than $2 a day. Like, I spent more on one drink at Starbucks the last time I went there. Like that's, like, that's more than, like, $2. Most of us don't even think about spending $2. If somebody said, hey, can I have $2? Sure, have $2. We would give that away without even thinking. Uh, on Friday nights, our family has started this little weekly ritual. We just call it family movie night. And so what we do is we go get food out. We bring it back. By the way, this goes a lot with what I wanted to do with vacation. Um, we go, we bring it back. We put a big old quilt on the floor. We all sit there and kind of have like a picnic, you know, in our living room. And I'll get on um, Amazon Prime and I'll we'll usually rent a movie. And it costs like five or six bucks to rent a movie. And it's wonderful because I don't even got to get off my floor to rent a movie now because we live in the future. And it's awesome. <laughs> and so, and so I, we rent this movie, right? And it costs like five bucks, six bucks, something like that for a new release. And, and how long does it last? Two hours? And then it's gone? And yet, for so many people, $2 is the difference between do I get to feed my kids today? And I'm like, $6 movie, I don't have to get up? Yes, whew! And it's gone three times that amount? Like, many of us, we just don't see that we're rich, but in reality, we are. And I'll tell you one way that you can know that you're rich, and this is the best way to know that you're rich, is that you don't have, like, poor people problems anymore. you got rich people problems. We all got them. The internet calls them first world problems. That was a name it gave to him several years ago. But like the things that bother you are often things that bother you because you're rich. And let me just be honest. I'm talking about myself here too. You're spoiled too. Um, not this past Friday, but the Friday before for movie night, we went and got Chick-fil-A. And so we had, they come home, this big old bag of stuff, you know. I ordered it on my phone, which is cool. And you can just pull up and say, order for Anthony Bliss. And they just like give you food. It's amazing. We, again, we're in the future, and it's awesome. And so I specifically, though, I put in all the sauces, like, because they have all kinds of sauces at Chick-fil-A. So we put in, Abby, what kind do you want? Okay, I'll add two of those. I want one of these. The kids are going to want some. So I put all the sauces in, right? And we put this order, and there's chicken sandwiches and nuggets and all this stuff, and it comes, and we open the bag, and we're, it smells so good, and we start getting it out, and we get to the bottom of the bag, and we realize there's no sauces. It's like I was so incredibly disappointed it's like there's no man i've been on a polynesian kick and there's no polynesian sauce like they didn't even put ketchup they got those cool like do you want to squirt it or you want to open it up and dip it kind of ketchups you know those fancy kind of ketchups and abby's like no chick-fil-a sauce she starts flipping over tables and throwing things <laughs> uh, maybe not anyway so but but it's but like granted did we still have all this food 
Oh, obviously. Were we going to go to sleep with empty stomachs growling? Not at all. But it's funny how the dumbest little thing, these tiny little minuscule, mostly sugar you know, packets that we were going to dip our stuff into, it, oh, that ruined my night. Oh, man. And we were, I was so bummed about it. And so just going to be honest, we're rich, even if we don't feel it most of the time. The last week, my mom said, uh, hey, I sent a package for Eleanor in the mail. And it was like some nail polish and stuff that she was going to be super pumped about. And she sent three packages on Tuesday. Two of them arrived on Wednesday. The one for us still never got here. She checked yesterday, and it's in Maryland. <laughs> My mom lives like three hours south of here. Like, it would have been easier to drive down and get it. And, so, and she's like, what? Oh, why is it in Maryland? And I'm like, how dare they send that to Maryland? What is wrong with these people? My daughter deserves her nail polish. I mean, it's not like I had to go get it. I mean, it'll get here eventually, oh, probably, but it, it wasn't like we're out hundreds of dollars. For a minimum fee, someone's going to bring it from my mom's house to my house, and we're upset that it didn't show up in the allotted amount of time. Most of the things that we rant about are rich people problems. And so that's the good news, that whether you see it or not, maybe you were hoping the good news was that I was going like, to hand out money and you were going to be rich because of that, but... Sorry, because there is bad news, okay? You ready for the bad news? The bad news is that you're rich. And you say, why is that bad news? It's because as we saw in the parable that we just looked at, the more you have, the harder it's going to be for you and for me to put our focus where it needs to be. You know, I've tried to be responsible with the finances that God has given me, and I feel like Abby and I have really done that fairly well through the course of our marriage. And I hoped... I hope that we would be one of those stories in the Bible where God, where we were faithful with a little and then God gave us a lot, you know, that kind of thing. Because again, I want, I, I still think I want more. Okay, but I think the reason that that has never happened is because God knows my heart and knows that that is just something that would take me in the opposite direction of where I needed to be. Because the more you have comfort, the more you have pleasure, the less worry you have about paying bills, the more convenience, the more amenities, the more luxuries you are able to bring into your life, the easier it will be for your affections and your priorities to be tied to things and a way of life that takes you away from God. It'll be, it'll be harder for you to invest in the things that, that truly draw you closer to your Heavenly Father. Because, I, let's just talk about it, like, they're one of the most common prayers that churches pray, and even a lot of non-Christians know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our... We don't pray for daily bread. God doesn't give you your daily bread. Aldi and Walmart and Meyer give you your daily bread, right? And we don't think about those things anymore. We don't pray for those things anymore. We don't wake up knowing our dependence on our Heavenly Father anymore. Why? Because we don't have to. We don't have to be dependent. I got money that takes care of those problems for me. And then you have how it affects your life. Because the, the more you have, typically the more, the more busy you become. Because when you have money, options are open to you. You're going to pay for little league fees and your kid to do this and you to do that and vacations here and things there. And the more busy you become, the less oftentimes you have for being with church, for opening scriptures, for praying I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, and how many days go by that I, I get to put my head on the pillow and think, man, did I even, did I pray today? I kind of hit the ground running this morning, and I, I don't remember praying about anything other than like, oh, God, don't let me hit that car that pulled out in front of me. Like, I don't know if I've prayed any intentional prayers like today because I was so busy. 
And, it, and it's like, how often are, is our life and our, uh, and our abundance robbing God of us and our hearts and our attention? And for all the riches that we have, many of us are suffering from extreme spiritual poverty. We don't pray. We don't read the Bible. We'll sit there and pray, God, can you show me your way? And yet his word is next to us on a Bible and we never crack it open. And I just wonder if our privilege and our abundance is so often keeping us away from our creator. That our stuff is distracting us so that we don't have the time to, to realize that we need to repent of our sin. That maybe we need Jesus, like really need him to save our souls or else we're in eternal trouble. But we don't think about that stuff because, oh no, that was kind of bad. I did something that wasn't great. But you know what? I can just move on to the next thing to distract me so I don't feel so bad anymore. And so often we are being, again, we're being drifted away, led away from Jesus just because of all that we have. And all the, way we're, all the while we're being drawn away from God, money gives us this sense that it's got us taken care of. It's got, our, it's got us, every problem is filled, is, is taken care of because we've got enough. If we can just get enough in the bank. But yet that security is largely misplaced because money's not going to help you raise godly kids. I, I've, I've confessed my my habit I have of looking at my hometown radio station's news, uh, radio station's website, excuse me, and they have pictures of all the mug shots of people that have been arrested in Wayne County, and I just, you know, you, you know how you look, some of you look at the obituaries to see if there's anybody you know, I look at the mug shots to see if there's anybody I know, and there's a lot of times I'm like, I went to high school with that guy, whoa, and then, but a lot of them I'm like, what, like this guy is deep in a meth addiction, and this person's been arrested for abuse. And it's like, I know where, the, I, I went to their house growing up. They had everything. Why, how could they, why would they turn to a life like that? You know, money didn't protect them from that. Money's not going to heal your loved one's cancer. Money's not going to be able to take away all the anxiety and depression that sits in your heart. Money isn't going to be able to fix your marriage. And, mar- and money isn't going for one second going to change the fact that after your life is over, all your stuff is either going to be someone else's or be trash little confession. Some of you have garages full thinking your kids are going to go through that after you die and and think it's all just one valued treasure after another. And you're going to die and they're going to go, why did they leave us all this junk to throw away? (laughs) I apologize if that hurt your feelings. But that's just the the truth of it. And we have so, so much. And we spend so much time thinking that we need more of these things that are temporary. When in reality, we need more of what's eternal. We desperately need a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need a greater dependence on the salvation that comes through Jesus. We need greater daily guidance from the Holy Spirit. Now, again, it's not bad. Money and stuff isn't evil. If you make more than some other people, that doesn't make you more evil than they are. But in Jesus' opinion, the more you have, the more dangerous it is for your soul. And if we are rich, our goal must be to use what we have for His glory and for the good of people around us, not our own good. And we must do everything in our power to make sure our hearts remain with our Heavenly Father because chasing more and more and more is simply chasing that carrot that we'll never get to eat. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for reminders like this that show us that some of the things that that we've been told we need more of, maybe that's not exactly what we need. And maybe we've been praying, God, give me more. God, give me more. God, help me. Maybe we just need to pray, God, thank you for what we have. God, show me how to be faithful with what you already have given me. Because money and stuff, more is not always the answer. 
Now, I understand there are some who have so little that more would help. And maybe that falls back on some of us who have a little bit extra. And that maybe we can start to convince ourselves that there is such a thing as extra. And that we can set aside more to give away to people who are in need, people who are hurting. Blessing those who, who, who don't have as much as we do. And I just pray, Father, that we would look at money and stuff as, as we look at everything in our lives as, as a tool to be used for, for your good purpose. Not something that is just here for our own fun to play with and to design our life the way we want it to go. But it's actually something that, that we can prayerfully and intentionally use. Some to take care of our family, yeah. Some to provide for our future, yeah. But also to bless people and to, to further your mission in the world so that more people might know your goodness. And rather than us enjoying temporary stuff, we might feed into somebody's eternal need to know Jesus. So help us, Father, to keep our perspective, to not, to not be okay chasing something that actually can't promise or can't deliver on the promises that it's making to us. Thank you again for some, for some of these very eye-opening realizations that Jesus taught. And let us cling to his every word so that we don't drift away so that we don't fall away into something that is temporary, so that we don't miss out on eternity with you because we chose something that's here for just a moment, eternally speaking. Thank you for the eternal perspective. Thank you for the salvation that comes in Christ. May we keep our eyes on him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.